0: Welcome back to the Most Accurate Podcast here at 444 4 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Diggle. Join for another bonus episode as we get you ready for the two biggest draft weekends of the year. He, of course, alongside me, none other than friend in life, John Paulson. 24 hours since the last episode, Paulson. How are we feeling?
1: I am seeing a lot of you, John. It's, it's good. It means we're getting close to the season. Uh, we're not disagreeing too much, so we're getting along fine, I think. Uh, it's, yeah, we're, we're, we're in the dog days here of August and, uh, everybody's getting ready for the draft. So why not some extra
0: content? Good is one term for it. Yes. However you want to view it. Nonetheless, we are here and reminder before we get into today, four for four subscription, our projections, our rankings that Paulson himself is working around the clock on whether you draft on NFL.com, CBS, ESPN, Yahoo, sleeper, we have everything for you. So remember promo code YouTube, 25% off, which is already too cheap. Tell corporate to make it more expensive, only $39 for the entire year, but 25% off that price with the promo code YouTube. We are here today, Paulson, though, to get into our mid-round values, and there are a number of ways to go about this, but I think my theme of 2023 fantasy football drafts is you can honestly start however the hell you want. We talked about it on last week's bonus episode, going through each slot, which is still available for everyone on both the YouTube and this very podcast feed, going through the first two rounds, heavy running back, heavy wide receiver, Evan Silva himself mentioned on yesterday's episode that the top 24 picks, and it's not a cliche, they really are just good, allowing us to do whatever we want. But from that point, Paulson, is where it gets a little bit tricky, and that's why we're here to solve it for everyone today.
1: Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, I don't know how you go into drafts, John, but I, I don't typically go in with a set plan that I stick to no matter what happens. If the board falls a certain way, I might uh, pivot and go with two receivers in the first round. If if receivers happen to fall to me, if it goes running back early, I'm drafting late in the first round, I want to go receiver, receiver. Uh, I typically draft a running back early, but there's times when I don't. And I think most of our uh, subscribers are probably falling in that same category. We might have some uh, zero RB zealots out there that are going to draft receiver after receiver, no matter what. but even they need to be able to attack the middle rounds and find some value and at the running back position uh, in the late middle rounds. So uh, this is a very useful I think uh, this will be a very useful discussion for everybody who might go into their draft thinking, oh, we're gonna do x, but then the fall uh, the draft falls this way. Now I need to pivot. Now who am I targeting in the middle rounds as as I have to pivot?
0: And it all varies based on your league. Fortunately, we've gone through a lot of those types of formats for you. I described super flex drafts and my strategy on the John Daigle show on the YouTube channel Tuesday morning. We had a live 14 team draft for everyone on Tuesday night. So that all can be looked at. And that's why I think I would like to start with what you mentioned. What happens within those first four or five rounds whenever the board just falls to you? Because we're always being pragmatic. We know the different draft strategies. There is zero reason to go into draft saying, I'm going to do this because then it's like goal setting. Like you're already probably setting your own goals too low, but also you're not leaving yourself outs and just allowing life to happen. If a value drop happens in front of you because someone didn't get the market on players correct, just take that value and change your approach. Always stay pragmatic. And so let's say Paulson that we start three wide receivers in the first five rounds. We are then stuck looking for running back values at the right price. Where do you go in that five to ten round range? Let's toss a couple players with one another out.
1: Yeah, and I know you don't like him. So the first guy on my list in terms of the rankings is Alexander Madison, going five oh nine. Uh, I'll just rattle off a few, and maybe we should just kind of discuss them as a whole because this is an interesting tier. Uh, Damian Damian Pierce five oh four. Trending up a little bit uh in the last couple of weeks due to some of the the snap counts that are coming out from preseason. Looks like he might be a three-down player and Devin Singletary is a pure handcuff. Uh Cam Akers at 512 finished the season, you know, really strong last year. Uh really no competition there for touches, could be the Bell Cow. Uh perhaps that uh Achilles injuries behind him. He averaged like over 4.8 yards per carry down the stretch. Miles Sanders looks like he's back at practice, even though you know. The one thing you worry about with sanders is getting dinged up and he missed some time but he should be the bell cow for for carolina so those those four guys right there going in the fifth round they they would make serviceable rb ones in the situation where you started you know three receivers and maybe a tight end in the first four rounds what do you think of this group
0: my issue with that group is not even on them individually, even though I could just go through and point out red flags and all, including Miles Sanders playing with a rookie quarterback that historically to actually break out as with a rookie quarterback is just so far and few between that it's on, it's our best odds to just bet against it. Same for Damian Pierce, who I really like individually as a player, but a rookie and presumably mobile quarterback in CJ Stroud. And so when I start looking at that tier, I think look at the players around them. Um, Most of the time in home leagues, what happens is people try to leave with a starting lineup. We're not doing that. We're not really trying to draft balanced, right? We're just trying to get the best players Uh, because your league does not stop at the draft. That's the issue. Even if you stack these good receivers with higher ceilings, in my opinion, Christian Watson, Drake London, even go to Debo Samuel if he falls in your league for recency bias. Uh, Terry McLaurin was there, no longer there. Tyler Lockett. These players historically have a higher proven ceilings than that group of running backs. And so I can then use these wide receivers, even if they're my wide receiver four through six on my bench, to trade them later on for a running back. Even if I bite value, that's fine. Because I need the running back. That player needs a receiver. And later on, if this guy is my wide receiver six, he's not as important to me. So I can quote-unquote, lose value in a one-for-one trade for a running back. And so that's just the way I look at drafts. I look at league-wide and what happens over the year. And so I am skipping that tier of players personally for wide receivers instead. But let me ask you this, because regardless of what I think of them as NFL players, I do think Rashad White and James Cook stand out beyond that. I think what's going to happen in your home league is that in the 8th through 10th round, That's where White and Cook will fall for recency bias. And regardless of what I think of them as NFL players and whether they can break out, the fact is among this group of guys who have high floors and zero ceilings, at least those two have a college receiving pedigree, they're athletes, and they have no competition. No one on the backfield who scares you really. And so that's why I just go back to those two guys over all the others and wait for them.
1: And this is why this is an interesting discussion because there might be some listeners that are like I I have to have my running first running at least one running back by the fifth round and who am I taking so that was that original group that I mentioned and then I was going to get into this tier that you started to touch on so White uh, James Cook are two of them David Montgomery is an interesting player as well you know filling that J- Jamal uh, Williams role for the Lions there probably going to be some touchdown re- regression there but he. Should see double-digit touchdowns this year. He's going seven hundred six. White's going six eleven. James Cook going seven hundred one. And as you mentioned in your home leagues, this, these guys might fall an extra round or two. Uh, but and then there's another player or a couple other players. Alvin Kamara seven hundred two. Very interesting uh, draft capital for him. He's going to miss the first three games. But if you uh, are able to have him as your RB two or RB three, and can kind of uh, get through that first month of the season, now you're adding uh, a, you know, a verified, uh, longstanding RB2, RB1 type to your starting roster and at the cost of a seventh round pick. Uh, I know we di- differ on what's going to happen in the Bears backfield. I'm a fan of Khalil Herbert. You're more of a Rashawn Johnson fan, but Khalil Herbert has some really great uh, advanced metric uh, tackle breaking yards after contact stats from last year. He he did it in short uh, stints as a starter. Uh, very productive there for the Bears. I think right now he's the clear RB1 there. He may lose some snaps uh, eventually, but I think heading into the season, he is the clear RB1. He's going uh, round eight. Uh, Brown Brian Robinson, round eight as well, Eight twelve. 12 You know, out-touched uh, Antonio Gibson down the stretch last year. They're kind of splitting the, the snaps in the first uh, couple of preseason games, but Robinson did see four catches in this last game from Sam Howell, which was very unusual. He was not very involved in, as a receiver last year at all. So, kind of rounding out the six, seven, eight uh, rounds, those are the those are the guys that kind of pop to me as you know possible RB one, RB twos. If you're if you're really waiting on running back.
0: And again, it really comes down to your league. Even in a home league this past weekend, Miles Sanders fell to the ninth round and I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. That's it. So I will gladly take a value Miles Sanders anytime. If he falls, let's hone this down for everyone though. Let's try to give them our three favorite running backs in rounds five through 10. If That's what they're looking for because of wide receiver heavy starts. I've already mentioned Rashad White and James Cook for me. I will also highlight David Montgomery as my other favorite, as you mentioned, because I think everyone's just doing themselves a disservice if they try to make the Lions backfield black and white because it's gray. Like Both players can get there. You don't have to say one or the other take over. A league high, 96% of the team's running back carries from last year missing. And then also 100% of this team's carries inside the five-yard lines last year vacated as well. Just lots of opportunity for both players and defined roles to grow and be successful in at their ADP values. Montgomery's, although I don't he'll be, believe he'll be used as such in the regular season, he's even been reportedly getting pass-catching work in training camp. So lots of different directions to go there. Like you, I do like Montgomery as one of my favorite backs in that range.
1: Yeah, and Jameer Gibbs is getting all the headlines. So Swift moves on. They they get Gibbs, and Gibbs is going to have a good season, I think. This is just, uh, I mean, a really good offense to attack and try to get pieces of, especially in the running back in the backfield situation, and at Amaron Saint Brown at receiver. Um, you know, my f- two favorite running backs in this group are Alexander Madison and Damian Pierce because I have them ranked the highest. But if you're talking value based on their ADPs, the guys that are really intriguing to me are James Cook. Khalil Herbert and uh, Alvin Kamara due to the talent level and their, uh, and their ADPs. I mean, cook is standing out in that Buffalo camp and it does not look like Damian Harris is pushing him for snaps. Now we still have this TD upside question with cook, but he should be a three down back. And, you know, he's in on the, the two minute drill as well. He should see plenty of yards, uh, even if he's not getting the eight to 10 touchdowns that we'd like him to get as a runner he might see three touchdowns as a receiver and sort of make up for it that way. Uh, and then I mentioned Herbert and I mentioned Kamara that the, the cases for them in that eight, seven, eight range.
0: And for white, who I also want to highlight before we move on. Um, I know some people have concerns about the offense. I have concerns about the offense. I don't think Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are actually considered values. Like a lot of people talk about. I still think they're being overdrafted given the, giving the, uh, extreme regression we expect from that offense. The pass attempts per game, league highs the past two years, won't be there since it's not a Tom Brady offense. Also, the fact that Brady was top two in time from snap to release, that was a Brady thing and understanding how offensive lines work. I'm not sure if Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask actually understand NFL offensive lines. So it's going to be entirely different and entirely inaccurate. But for White, we saw James Conner On the Cardinals, 26th in points per game last year, Connor rattled off seven consecutive top 15 finishes because for running backs, it's the touches and it's the touchdowns. And that's how we get there. So White, a 98th percentile athlete who led his conference, the Pac-12 in college, in receiving and was used at both the slot and out wide as a receiving back as well with no competition again behind him. That's the kind of players we want. Um, The players in that range who can exceed their projections and White and James Cook, as you mentioned, David Montgomery, Alexander Madison, if he were to get the touches, I still question if, but if he were to get the touches, yes. That's how players exceed their projections in that range.
1: Sounds good. Should we talk about a uh, running back early start and who to attack at the receiver
0: position? I'll allow you to do it because All right. again, the way drafts set up is if you're in the back end, you can double tap Tony Pollard, Nick Chubb. If you want to go Saquon Barkley, that's fine. We talked about him yesterday in depth if you want to go back to that episode but there are just so many ways to start with running backs uh and that includes like if we're fading jonathan taylor in the top of the second round so go ahead and get started on some wide receiver values
1: yeah and i would underline that that pollard chubb chubb pollard start like that you know people complain about drafting late in the first round but that's an actually a really strong start if you want to go uh high t rbrb
0: especially because home leagues we know and this is why you emphasized it when we ever we did our two round mock together home leagues running backs go quicker it's just the way it works i think because they're usually ranked higher when everyone's just catching up and studying the 24 hours prior everyone has that friend they have children it's okay like they could just catch up no big deal but running backs do go higher and so what happens is the wide receiver tiers end up falling like the higher tiers you can get value on and so yes It's okay, 12, 14-team league, to start that running back, running back, double tap at the end because we think we're going to get amazing wide receiver values beginning with whoever the hell you're about to say.
1: Yeah, and I think you alluded to it earlier when you were talking about, oh, I would rather have the receivers in the fifth round than the running backs. That was kind of your position earlier, and I can see why. I mean, you alluded to Tyler Lockett, who's now – he's going 6.07 – He's probably going to go in the fifth round now with the Jackson Smith and Jigba injury, uh, kind of keeping him out, likely the first couple of weeks of September at least. Terry McLaurin kind of falling probably now into the sixth round, but going 505 at the moment. We'll see how bad that toe injury is if he's back at practice next week. Like uh, Ron Rivera said that he might be. Drake London, 511. A lot of upside there. Great player. We don't know. We have questions about the Atlanta offense, but he. Did do well and had a good uh, run with uh, Desmond Ritter there at the end of the year. He was on a pretty good uh, yardage pace. Uh, Deontay Johnson, uh, we know about his touchdown regression. We've talked about it before. He's going 6'10". I've seen him go, certainly in some PPR leagues, he has more value. So I've seen him go uh, in the fifth round as well. And then you also talked about uh, Christian Watson. Uh, Whenever he's on the field, he's the fastest player. Uh, Maybe Jordan Love is better than we think. Uh, he's had a good preseason as well, and if he's if he's able to connect with uh, you know Watson two or three times a game uh, down the field, uh, Watson's likely to score a touchdown pretty frequently. So that's the group of fifth round and early sixth round receivers that really stand out to me. If you are waiting at the position, maybe you're grabbing, you know, two running backs early, stud tight end and Andrews in the third. Maybe you draft one receiver in the fourth, and now you're looking for your number two. Maybe you draft a third running back in the fourth round and you're looking for your number one receiver, you can still get some real-world wide receiver ones here in the fifth round.
0: Even if I start Travis Kelsey and one running back or one wide receiver, I get to this range again, and I say those guys you mentioned, Deontay Johnson, Drake London, Christian Watson in particular, rounds five through seven, wherever they go in your home league, they have so much higher ceilings than the other running backs we talk about, which is why I don't care about filling out my starting lineup within the first eight rounds. I'm just trying to get the best value possible. For starters, London, who you mentioned, the Falcons can't possibly pass as little as they did last year. Their 52% run play rate in neutral game script was not only a league high mark, it was the highest of any team in the last 12 years. And we did see, albeit a small sample, a little bit of a change in their approach in the last four games of Desmond Ritter because their plays per game, they got faster. They averaged 66 plays per game compared to 57 and a half. They averaged more pass attempts, over five more per game. And their neutral pass rate increased a whole 5% all the way up to over 50%. Still low, but significantly better than the 45% they averaged whenever they were literally trying to hide Marcus Mariota because they said, we cannot let this guy throw NFL passes ever again. So I I do think there are outs here for one of, not both, we're not going to get that much volume, but one of Drake London or Kyle Pitts to get there. And given how Kyle Pitts is used with only deep shots, that's why he's been top two in depth of target the last two years among all tight ends. I think Drake London is the winner here, which is why I want to bet on his ceiling.
1: Yeah, and I think you're looking at, if you're wondering about Pitts versus London, uh, Pitts hasn't been playing full-time snaps in the preseason, and Arthur Smith's been kind of, I don't know if they're holding him back, or if you look at his game log last year, is very inconsistent in terms of him playing starter snaps. So London's the one that's going to be on the field the most. Uh, he's the one that has the most upside. Uh, They're actually going fairly close in drafts because of the nature of the tight end position and receiver position, but my bet's on London.
0: And then you mentioned Watson. I actually came into the year expecting to fade Watson, thinking he was be going in that DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel tier at the second, third round turn. But it's not even close. As you said, he's a fifth to seventh round receiver, and that doesn't make sense since I saw... From week 10 on, his breakout, those last eight games, I saw the four games in which he scored a touchdown, and he didn't provide any fantasy value. He was the wide receiver receiver 57 in points per game when he didn't score a touchdown. But the other four games, he broke fantasy football. He scored 22.7 points, which would have led both Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson on a per-game basis last year. And we can get that kind of player who breaks the game in the sixth or seventh round. Like we need to do that every time. I don't, there's no reason to fade him when he goes in that range. So like you, those are definitely two players I want to highlight. What about when we move on a little bit later, rounds eight through 10?
1: Yeah. I wanted to mention Mike Williams, 602, Brandon Ayuk, 606. They're, they're probably going to go a little later in home leagues. Jahan Dotson is a player that is starting to trend upward for a couple of reasons. I think we talked about it yesterday, uh, Terry McLaurin possibly you know missing a game or two at the start of the season that's possible uh sam howell looking quite good at quarterback so that's a couple of reasons why dotson starting to go a little bit earlier 712 good route runner very productive uh in his games last year missed some time due to injury so his end of season fantasy points don't look very good so those uh managers in your league that are just looking at last year's finish and drafting off of that are going to miss miss dotson and his uh you know expansion of his role as the wide receiver two in Washington. Uh, Jordan Addison, 805, uh, still sitting in that wide receiver three spot theoretically in in Minnesota, but we were expecting him to overtake uh, K.J. Osborne uh, here in September. Uh, He's apparently been turning heads in camp. He's 805. Uh, Michael Pittman is still interesting to me, a very good route runner, talented player, Uh, 711. We have some questions about Anthony Richardson and his ability to deliver the ball, especially on short intermediate throws uh you, you mentioned Mike Evans I think earlier I think Mike Evans I did get him in a, a couple of leagues he's going so late i mean he's going another round or two later than Godwin uh, and I still think that he is at that point wide receiver 35 to wide receiver 40. I think he is a decent value there we know he's a a good talent and if they get even decent quarterback play out of Baker mayfield uh, I am a little I was hoping it would be Kyle Trask actually just so we had some unknown. Uh, but we're, it looks like we're going to get Mayfield as a starter there. Uh, and just a few more players in the eighth eighth round, Gabe Davis. I still believe in his ability uh, to deliver wide receiver two numbers uh, over the course of the season. He's going to be more sporadic, but he has 17 touchdowns in his last 24 games. He fought through an ankle injury last year, came out with a strong game one and then got injured. And I think he was trying to play through it. Uh, it maybe it wasn't the whole season. He did have some up and down games late. Uh, not the greatest route runner, but pretty good uh, explosive offense. And he's a, he's good downfield, Michael Thomas. I would love to hear your thoughts about him. You know, he had a strong showing uh, for three games last year, caught three touchdowns. I believe not the separator and Matt Harmon confirmed this over at reception perception, not the separator that he once was, but he was coming off of his injury. We don't know exactly what we'll see this year from him, but he's also really good with the contested catch. Which is why he was able to be productive last year, uh, in in those three games. Uh, Even though he wasn't separating very well, he's still able to catch the ball. Uh, So he's intriguing to me, even though he's in probably the number two option there. He's going in the ninth round. I mean, Michael Thomas, and he seems like he's healthy. So, and then lastly, Zay Flowers. So you know he caught a touchdown for the Ravens. Uh, Seems to be the healthiest uh, and most upside in that. Uh, receiving game other than Mark Andrews. Uh, you do have Dell Beckham and Rashad Bateman, who I like both, but i just wondering about their overall health and whether or not they'll be able to, be able to stay on the field this season.
0: All right. lost a parcer. Yeah, There's lost to Parcer. For, for one, let's start with Michael Thomas because I don't know. I genuinely don't have a clue, and I don't know how he's going to be treated. I, I see his ADP. Like, I use our multi-site tool, look at his ADP, but it's so variant based on your draft and how much your league mates hate him for not playing for basically two years so I just don't know he probably gets to a range where you take a chance as your wide receiver five or six but do I have any confidence in anything I project him for absolutely not I have no idea so it's fine I would just play it on value for me let's go back to Zay Flowers because I agree with you he's the type of player that can be schemed, concerted targets, because that's what he was at Boston College, too. Uh, and his final year handled 36, 36% of the team's receiving yards and 57% of Boston College's touchdown catches. Uh, also had five plays of 20 plus yards in each of his four seasons with. Boston college. So honestly, I think he's the, the kind of player that Todd Munkin can scheme up for everything. Like chase Claypool should be used as whether it's end rounds, underneath targets for yards after the catch deep shots. I genuinely think he can do it all. And the players he's playing with, with a injury riddled Rashad Bateman, who's already been going through injuries in training camp and Odell Beckham, basically a year and a half removed in an age. We don't want to really prioritize since we think that's when the cliff happens at age 31, Honestly, I just consider those guys speed bumps. They're not nail strips. They don't end you. They're just speed bumps. And so I I want to be higher on Zay Flowers, uh, especially with first-round draft capital. But you also mentioned um, a couple other players, and I want to highlight two players I know from drafting on Sleeper and Yahoo that you have to scroll down for, I think because ADP by default is basing it on last year's results. And both Sky Moore and Elijah Moore should be higher in default ADP. We think Elijah Moore is going to immediately come in as the Browns' second wide receiver. And whatever you think about Deshaun Watson, at least we know whenever he was under center for the last month and a half of the season, the Browns increased their rate of three wide sets and passing from 16th in the league to top 10 overall. So we think Moore is going to at least be on the field all the time alongside Amari Cooper, which he wasn't with the Jets. And then also, Sky Moore, by all accounts in the preseason, Sky Moore has been used in two wide sets with the first team offense. He's been the most consistent one um, ahead of Justin Watson. And now his ADP goes in the 10th round, I would say at best in home leagues. So I think those are two of my personal favorite values on top of yours.
1: Yeah, those, I didn't mention those two. Those guys are going after Zay Flowers, but. You're right because that those are good players to highlight because there's a little weird moment there where you're, yeah, and and you're also you're just kind of looking at your draft and you're like there's kind of a talent drop off and who do I like out of this group? But so Sky Moore is like a post type sleeper uh, at this point because he came out of West Western Michigan right and uh, kind of lower level D one competition and struggled in his rookie season wasn't able to make a splash that you'd like to see uh, from a you know a player. Uh, coming in with into uh, Pat Pat Mahomes offense and Andy Reid's offense and now but he his his route running was was lauded by Matt Harmon but I think you know you're looking at the level of competition there when he's charting and you wonder okay so this is a small school guy who struggled in his rookie year maybe that's why now it's year two and they are basically inserting him as a starter and so he must have made uh, enough up enough ground there to where he's going to be the uh, you know, be on the field 80, 90% of the time. And if he's on the field, 80, 90% of the time with Patrick Mahomes, he's going to score some fantasy points. Uh, he's a different player than Marquez Valdez Scantling, uh, who is also going to be on the field a lot, uh, who's just more of a low volume field stretcher. He'll have the occasional blow up game. Uh, but, you know, Sky Moore should be the one along with Travis Kelsey, Jerick McKinnon, who are moving the chains. Uh, so he's certainly intriguing. I'm a little less excited about Elijah Moore. I think he's a, also a very good route runner that was proven by reception perception as well as a rookie. I'm just worried, you know, about his playing time in Cleveland. I don't know if he's going to play more than Donovan people's Jones that hasn't borne out uh, in the preseason. And I am also, as I discussed yesterday, quite worried about Deshaun Watson this season, given how he played last year and, and the reports from camp.
0: Those are two sleepers for me, at least. Uh, we can agree on just to to hone this down for everyone. We both agree on that in rounds five through seven. You were definitely looking for Christian Watson, Drake London, Deontay Johnson, and Tyler Lockett. We agree on those four. I gave yeah. you two. I gave you two sleepers. You mentioned a couple uh, with Elijah Moore and Sky Moore. And then before we move on, I also want to highlight Gabriel Davis as one because last year we saw he suffered the an ankle injury in week one. And then they had an early bye, and those four games that Davis played before the bye just wasn't the same. I would imagine getting healthy because over the next half of the season, post-bye, from week six on, he had a 20% target share, and he reached over 20% in 10 of his last last games to end of the year. So we think the first month or a half of the season, that was only so bad for him because he was injured. Gabriel Davis is also just a good redraft player because you can plug him in on a wide receiver three or flex option because he plays with Josh Allen. Sometimes it's literally that easy. And then John Dotson. We mentioned him on yesterday, but we still, even if it happened, like seven touchdowns on 35 catches, a little bit concerning, but still soaked up 40% of the team's end zone targets when he was on the field. And we have this looming Terry McLaurin injury now. So we at least have to bump Dotson up and consider him a value for drafts these upcoming weekends.
1: Yeah, I I think Dotson might rise a bit here as McLaurin begins to fade. So you might have to pull the trigger in the middle of the seventh or late sixth round. Probably not, but early seventh depends on your league. Again, how sharp are your league mates as well? And the last player I wanted to mention, I know you have a stat. If you don't remember the stat off the of hand, I can I can I can quote it for you because I just uh, we just took uh, Nico Collins in our main event. So oh yeah, another late draft,
0: sleeper. So. Yeah, around the Elijah Moore tier. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's a little bit after. He's going a little after, but he's number looks like the number one option in Houston. I mean, you could make a case for Dalton Schultz. You could make a case for Tank Dell. He seems to be, you know, make turning heads as well. Uh, but Nico fared pretty well in receptor perception as well. Uh, Matt Harmon likes him as a you know kind of a breakout ex receiver prospect. And then I'm going to quote you now, John. Uh, his career 18.1 target per route run rate alongside Brandon Cooks. Notably, skyrocketed skyrocketed to twenty five point four percent would have been twelfth uh, in twenty twenty two without Cooks in the lineup, and that was it with a different quarterback. But we know this quarterback situation is going to be better. Uh, I wanted to mention Derek Claussen's uh, work over at Reception Perception as well. He's doing the great, Derek Claussen uh, Yep, he's doing a lot of uh, quarterback profiles over there. Uh, in that in that tweet, I linked to his spreadsheet, and it really indicates that Stroud. Might be the most accurate, or is the most accurate quarterback of this rookie class uh, at all phases, uh, all distances uh, down the field. So this really could be an opportunity for for Nico if he's able to break out, have that six to eight targets per game, a lot of air yards. You know, you're getting, you can get him outside the top fifty at the position as your wide receiver four or five. Uh, I think he's got a lot of upside there.
0: I will also double down on Nico Collins as a late-round sleeper for us because, or in that 10th-round range, and quote myself with another stat, and that's because Houston's quarterbacks combine to finish dead last 32nd and catchable pass rate on throws 10 yards downfield. 10 yards downfield is important because that's where not only – 53% of Nico Collins' targets came from last year, but also because CJ Stroud led his entire class and completion rate on throws 10 yards downfield. So it's just a completely different situation. As an arc-tight receiver, 6'3, 215, the biggest receiver among Houston's wide receivers, thus he Nico Collins has to stay on the field in two wide sets because no one offers the type of playmaking he can. So yes, we both agree on that. Moving on to tight ends, honestly. I don't think there's really a strategy. I think really this is when we start, especially from like round seven on, getting into the dead zone. And then once you reach, you know, like our favorite sleepers, Tyler Higby. Uh, if you want a higher floor, take a chance on efficiency. Chico Conquo, Dalton Schultz has a chance to lead the team in touchdowns. But honestly, if you ask me, like Tyler Higbee to Hunter Henry, like they're all the same guys, literally just all the same. And uh, as we know with tier drafting, we want to draft at the bottom of the tier because – Drafting the top means you're allowing everyone else to make mistakes. We don't want to do that. So, what is your strategy and targets if you are drafting a tight ends round five through ten? Which, again, you're not prone to. You don't have to do it. It's not obligatory.
1: Yeah, you can wait uh, if you don't go early. I mean, I'm a I'm a you know advocate for Kelsey early, Mark Andrews early. I like Hawkinson in the fourth or fifth round as well. I know you we deb- we debated that yesterday, Um, but. You know, Dallas Goddard does stand out a bit at 5'10". He started the season with 60 yards, 82 yards, 26 yards and a touchdown, 72 yards, 95 yards, 22 yards, 64 yards, 100 yards and a touchdown, 23 yards and a touchdown, was off to a very hot start, got injured, came back and wasn't quite the same, 67, 45, 46 yards, but he saw three, six, seven targets we know he's good it's just a matter of the the volume so he averaged 5.7 targets per game but he did average 58 yards receiving uh it's a good offense uh obviously and he's a good player 55 for 702 and three touchdowns you know missing five games uh is still a pretty uh impressive uh output for for dallas goddard so if you can get him in in that late fifth round early sixth round i think he's a uh, I would, I would say he's a weapon when he's available um, at, at the position. I think that there's a little bit of concern with his uh, you know injury history and all that, but he's a very good player. Uh, the other guy in that range that I wanted to highlight was Pat Fryermuth. our friend uh, Connor Allen. Uh, talked me into him uh, a little bit uh, in our main event draft. Uh, according to Connor, Pat Fryermuth played 50% of the snaps in nine games with – 50% of the snaps or more in nine games with Kenny Pickett he averaged 7.4 targets, 5.2 receptions and 61 receiving yards per game. He out-targeted George Pickens in 8 of 9 games. And that was in response to me saying, "Oh, he's the third option in the in the, in the Pittsburgh passing game." It looks like he's the number 2 option after Deontay Johnson at least with Kenny Pickett last year. So he is an interesting player if they, we do see the touchdown regression uh in a positive manner for uh for Pickett. Uh Muth should be one of the primary uh recipients of that. He did catch a touchdown, a nice uh down the seam touchdown back shoulder uh throw from Pickett to Fryermouth in the preseason. Uh so i am interested to hear your thoughts on whether or not, you know, this dead zone, as you called it, would you maybe pull the trigger on Muth?
0: I have them tiered off. And in the tier at the end in that range, I have Fryermouth and David and Joku neck and neck. Once it gets past that, that's genuinely what I just say. Well, I'm not drafting a tight end. I'm just letting the ball fall to me. Even in that 14-team league on Tuesday night we did, uh, I got Tyler Higby. or no, no, no. Someone got Tyler Higby in the 14th round. Because again, in a one tight end league, unless you get one of those top 10 guys, there's just no need to prioritize it. Let them fall to you and take the volume since it's really just all high floor players from that point anyways. And so that's, one, that's the way to approach it. But like you, I will veer off the path and say I really do like Fryermuth and Njoku. Some people listening at home may say Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson, that means we're betting on the Steelers' passing offense. And to that, I would say I completely agree. Because last year, Pittsburgh's 42% rate of passing touchdowns through the air was the fifth lowest mark of the last decade. That's a stat that tends to regress year to year. And the four offenses prior to Pittsburgh's that averaged less than 43% in the last 10 years, they not only all bounced back, but they averaged an increase of 22% the next year. So we think there's going to be, just based on historical regression, some bounce back for everyone. Deontay Johnson, Pat Friermuth, maybe even George Pickens if they let him do anything else but run go-routes 20 yards downfield. I don't know. But either way, that makes Johnson, Fryermuth, and Kenny Pickett Players we should be targeting, Pickett especially, and 2QB and Superflex Leagues.
1: And when I did uh, <laughs> a study on rookie quarterbacks, I f- they, it was weird. They, they they fell into two categories. They averaged either over 17 fantasy points per game or below like 13 and a half. So there was two groups. There was the good rookies and the bad rookies. And the good rookies tended to regress a little bit in their second season because they had a lot of success uh, Defenses really started to game plan against them, da 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 da, da. Uh, And then in the, the bad group, they tended to get quite a bit better in their second season if they were given, you know, the 14 starts. So Pickett falls into that bad quarterback, uh, rookie quarterback category in that we should expect him, his fantasy points to rise 25%, 30% per game, start to throw some touchdowns, and that should help this whole uh, passing attack
0: as a whole. So Hawkinson, for you, Not for me personally, but if he falls, Hawkinson for you. And, like, honestly, if he falls the 6th, 7th round, I'm okay with that, but he doesn't. Like, everyone reaches on Hawkinson. Whereas I think Darren Waller is genuinely a better option with a higher ceiling than T.G. Hawkinson. But in ranking Waller as my tight end 3 or 4, the ranking doesn't matter because it's about where he's going to be drafted. And that's what makes Waller such a good pick, Paulson, is because Waller in your home league is probably going to be drafted rounds Six through eight for recency bias, and we expect a situation to change altogether.
1: Yeah, uh, Waller. I, I didn't consider him because his ADP has been rising due to uh, his his play in, in the high stakes
0: leagues. Absolutely, yeah. but I yeah. guess when everyone just shows up, um, just put the kid to bed or handed it off to their partner. I bet Waller's still an eighth round pick.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I certainly think sixth seventh round is feasible for him in home leagues. Uh I would. I, I do like him quite a bit. Uh it looks like he's if he could stay healthy, that's the big question with him, right? Uh the Giants are very likely going to feature him. He he could lead that team in targets. Uh probably the best bet of anybody. Uh and I I wanted to mention you talked about uh the kind of the fallback, the firewall options that are that are late. So if you if you if you miss out on the Friarmouth, you know, Ingram, Ninjoku, uh I'm not as big on Ninjoku. I think he's a good athlete, but I'm just not that big on this passing game uh in Cleveland. Um Tyler Higbee, 108 targets last year. They really don't have any target competition. Van Jefferson's expected to be the wide receiver, too. Tutu two, two Atwell, uh, and they've got another rookie, I think, that's turning some heads. But you know, Tyler Higbee is likely uh, to be the number two target there. And with Matthew Sifted-Efford back, I think he uh, could have another solid tight end eight, tight, tight end nine type season like he had last year. Dalton Schultz uh, should see 90 plus maybe 100 targets in that Houston offense. And Then you mentioned Chicken Conquo. Uh, this it's a little weird with uh, DeAndre Hopkins there, you know. But Burks is out now, and we don't know when he'll be back. He was a very high. I think he led the league in uh, yards per route run at his position. Uh, so you know that is a good indicator of future success. We'll see if the Titans throw it enough to support him. I think early in the season he'll be good. We'll see how they, you know how that continues in the middle of the season. Sam Laporta. I guess we're getting into kind of sleepers here, but he's not a real big sleeper. He's won that job. Uh, For the Lions, a tight end one job for the Lions. uh, Really athletic rookie. Not big on rookies, but I think this is like the perfect situation with him playing with Jared Goff. Lots of – Goff, excuse me. A lot of pass attempts, uh, and he's already won the job. And then the last guy I try to leave every draft with is Jake Ferguson as my tight end two. I just think there's a lot of upside there. And If if I'm going to draft a second tight end, if I'm concerned about my tight ends at all, I'm going to draft Ferguson, 16th round Uh, I think he could provide Dalton Schultz-type numbers there. He's been turning some heads in camp as well.
0: In a one tight end league, I am always only drafting one tight end. Uh, And that goes the same in a one quarterback league. So when we talk about mid-round values at quarterback, it's tougher because, honestly, we are trying to avoid these no-rushing-floor quarterbacks who are all bundled up into the same tier. The Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Tua, Dak Prescott, all the guys who just don't run the ball at all. Uh, I want to avoid taking that tier. Thus, I'm not using a pick in the 5th to 10th round on in a one quarterback league on those guys. My values, like yours, Paulson, I would rather wait beyond those rounds because beyond those rounds, Daniel Jones and Geno Smith are happening. And that, of course, is if you're not getting what we consider the top seven quarterbacks with, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Justin Fields rounding out that tier of players. So honestly, I just say, I'm not drafting a quarterback in rounds five through ten.
1: Yeah, because you can get, what, a Geno Smith, right. Daniel our Jones, fans, Anthony. Two Anthony, favorite Anthony, players, yeah. Yeah. I mean, those guys, and I think you're saying round ten, and that's probably true for home leagues. Those guys are going in the ninth round in our multi site ADP. That's when you should start thinking about it, depending depending on how many quarterbacks typically are drafted in your league. I mean, at some home leagues, people will draft a backup quarterback. Sometimes they'll draft a backup quarterback before they have their backup running back. It's there's some weird stuff happening. So you got to kind of pay attention to the number of quarterbacks going off the board, but you can wait and you know, add a Geno Smith, add a Daniel Jones, add an Anthony Richardson if you really want to live the, you know, YOLO life. Um And you can add that those players who, you know, Smith and Jones were top six to eight players at the position last year. Uh, You can add them to a roster. that's already got eight, nine running backs, quarterbacks, or running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. So you're adding these uh, very effective quarterbacks to these talent-laden lineups because you've been focusing, ignoring the quarterback position. This is the whole principle of late round quarterback. And I think it still exists. Even though there's a big push now to draft a top three quarterback and it makes sense in certain situations, certain draft positions, you could still, you know, draft a Smith, draft a Jones, and have a very effective high-scoring roster by waiting at the quarterback position.
0: And finally, let's end on this. As Mask asks, everyone's following the same ADP in fantasy football nowadays. It's obviously gotten sharper as more people do research. So what is your edge? for players being ranked above or below ADP. Basically, what is the big picture takeaway of 2023 fantasy football drafts? And for me, that's why I look at, like last year, with Chase Edmonds being drafted next to Jalen Hurts. I just step back, no matter what I think about the player, and I don't do player takes. I say, one of these guys breaks the game. The other one, what's his ceiling case? What was Chase Edmonds' ceiling case? Not top five running back, RB1. That was a ceiling case. Don't care about that. I need you to win your league like a Jalen Hurts. This year, that's why I'm so against citing Madison, Sanders, all those guys individually because I really think the big picture key is to avoid that tier because there's so many other players who can actually win your league going in that range. Whereas those running backs, in my opinion, high floors, zero ceiling, and the best you get is a low-end RB1. But, but no one tells you, is that you don't win anything if you get an RB10, but you draft him as the RB26. It does not matter. It is the same player. So I don't want to prioritize those types of players, and I think that's the key for me for getting an edge on ADP personally.
1: Yeah, and back to, you know, I I feel bad that you had to mention Chase Edmonds. You know, throw that in my Sorry to Chase Edmonds' mother, yeah. Yeah, Connor Allen and I were discussing Chase Edmonds this morning, and you know had a, shared a tear what is
0: y'all's life why are y'all yeah. talking about chase Edmonds right now
1: we we bring it up from time to time to remind us to humble us uh we think we know things and we don't know anything
0: i had uh, i had a Russell wilson mvp ticket so don't worry i was humbled many times last year too
1: all right so back to Mass's Mass's question specifically everyone follows basically the same adp and i don't think that's true necessarily because there's there's still owners or managers in your leagues that are just looking at the site ADP where you're at. So I think pay attention to that ADP a little bit more because there's people that are just showing up, you are know, doing some research, you know, but they're not, you know, pouring over 4 for 4s multi-site ADP, which averages all these different ADPs to give you kind of a, you know, honed in average ADP. So start there. Um, so there might be some players that are going late in at Sleeper that you can maybe wait an extra round or two on because you know your league mates are not going to pull the trigger if they have if they're not even on the board of the draft, you know, the draft pick board, the player board. They have to scroll down to find them. It's unlikely that they're going to go off the board in the next 12 picks. So there's there's that. Um and then I think, you know, for me it's like, you know, how do I personally find an edge? It's just I do these top down projections. There's just certain situations that I don't think can support Uh, players ADP we mentioned DJ Moore last year or last week or yesterday (laughs) uh, with Evan Silva and the the Chicago passing game unless Justin Fields takes a big step forward can't support DJ Moore as a top 20 receiver Uh, it's possible that he is ends up a top 20 receiver but you know just going through the whole projection process for me helps me identify some of these situations where either players undervalued or overvalued relative to ADP based on the projections that I create that makes sense relative to those teams from previous seasons, the new offensive play callers, the new quarterbacks that are in, in that that's all the work that goes into the projections uh, every spring and kind of refined throughout the summer. So that's how I find, uh, find the edge.
0: And another way to look at it is having skin in the game is not the end all be all, but for instance, I Use the 4-for-4 four four multi-site. As you mentioned, average ADP. You can also sort by FFPC, the high-stakes leagues, $2,000 leagues to $10,000 leagues, and see what the high-stakes players are drafting, and then just compare it. Like Rashad White in high-stakes leagues, full PPR, 12-team league, two flex. But Rashad White is going in the fifth to sixth round, whereas you know on Sleeper, he's going in the eighth or ninth round. So it's little differences like that you can average out yourself when you're looking at it all. With that, Paulson. I think we've set everyone up for this weekend. We will be back for two more episodes to close it out ahead of week one next week. But until then, what do you have on the site for everyone?
1: Uh, well, I, I finished week one projections, but I don't think that's going to be available yet uh, live. They're a little rough, uh, but uh, we need to get it up for some testing from our, uh, some of our partners, DFS stuff. Uh, but I'm going to be writing, uh, I think you are as well, John, uh, players that you're targeting and players that you're fading or avoiding. Uh, a couple of different articles, I think they're going to come out in the next few days. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Of course, we've got, the. if you look on Twitter, I've got my 19 stats, you must know. Uh, and if you, if you haven't subscribed yet, uh, use the code YouTube, get 25% off uh, any 444 subscription. It's a great deal. Uh, get on it.
0: There you go. You're learning the game, company man. Until then, we will be back next week. And remember, in the Discord for subscribers, we are available over the weekend. Paulson, I believe you have a chat on Friday afternoon, correct? To get everyone ready,
1: I have a Discord chat. If you are not, if you're a subscriber and not in the Discord, you're missing out because we do some Discord chats there. The analysts are in there all the time. I also do my thinking uh, inside the box uh, series on Mondays, where I'm identifying key playing time production points uh, during the season. So if you if, you, if you're not in the discord you're not having access to that either so if you are a subscriber get into that discord you can communicate with us directly ask some questions uh and get the answers for your fantasy team
0: whatever the case good luck this weekend and remember be a little bit kinder what's required at your draft we'll see you next time